This is Jesse Hensley. And this is Josh Turner. Welcome to Turn Down for What? Welcome back to Turn Down for What? Um, on this week's episode, we are going to be discussing a few different news segments uh, involving the electric flying car. Um, also discussing some a little bit further on the battery conversation that we had last week. Um, the main topic of the day is virtual power plants. Um, and then we will have a guest uh, on like we've been doing uh, who is a lightning driver similar to us drives an XLT standard range. Oh, okay. So. so apparently we've not discussed lightning enough. So now we have to have somebody. Oh, else absolutely. I'm, I'm going to milk that one as long okay. as I can. Well, speaking of milk, um, I have no segue for that one, but uh, <laughs> uh, we'll go into our first topic. So new car company out here that is wanting to sell a $300,000 car that is considered a flying car with a 110 mile range in the air and I believe 200 miles range on the ground so do you trust your ability to also fly a car when you're driving on the road is that something that you want to do my guess is if you're going to own that vehicle in order to uh, leave the ground you're going to have to have a, a to fly to use you're it in the United States, you'll have to have a yeah. pilot's license yeah and that's alof aeronautics i hope alof is a left i'm thinking they're thinking aloft you know now it's up there in the air so but if it's german that's you're going to have to deal with that yourself. So, and it did get AF, uh, 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 FAA. FAA approval uh, over the last couple of weeks. So that is something that you might be able to look up and see. Uh, kind of unique design. Uh, I think we have it here so we can show what it's going to look like. Is and, it, from what I've heard, it's a vertical takeoff, correct? I think so, yes. So, so my question would be, do you think that you would have to drive it to an airport and take off? No. Or do you think that you're going to be permitted? You can. To... My guess would be like a helicopter. You can, you can pretty much land a helicopter wherever you want to as long as you're clear. And I've, I've had helicopters land, you know, on job sites. That do you think you can pull past. up to a red light and then just go straight up in the air? That's the question right there. So <laughs> are you going to George Jetson this thing if you're in traffic and be able to just take but, off and go? There so. was one gas-powered vehicle. I don't even remember um, what the brand was, um, but it came out, and it was a car that had – retractable wings that put in your garage and then it, they folded out. Mm -hmm. um, that but was it on was the a, last um, episode of, uh, what was it? Not Top Gear, but uh, Grand Tour. So they had that vehicle on the Grand Tour recently. Very nice looking car. It had the wings and had the motor in the back. It's a pusher prop. Um, you can take off from an airport. Um, again, am, am I going to trust being able to drive in the air as well as the ground i don't think so so um i hope they do well it looks like a very unique concept look up for that uh over the next few years maybe we'll have it maybe we won't um but um i'm probably not going to get that one and test it yeah it was terra fugia the one that i was referencing um and it was one of those things that it came out i think the original announcement was like f 10 years ago Yep. And it was a car with big old wings that had to fold up, but you had to take it to the airport because it required a runway. Um, did a gain speed takeoff. I've not seen or heard of it, you know, that much. But See, I always wished that the 59 Cadillac would just drop their tail fins because it had <laughs> enough wingspan there that it could have took off too. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, that, that company, Terrafugia, was founded in 2006, looking it up here. Um, 
it was a Chinese based company, but, uh, it looks like, I mean, I've not heard much about it, but, uh, that's something that, um, that tech space coming to the electric market. I mean, I think that it makes more practical sense to have a, a prop set up where the, the vertical, uh, take off and, and go. I mean, the image, which we'll show on, um, the screen for YouTube, uh, the image was rather unique. Um, I think that it's something that, uh, that model will be attractive to some, um, but mm -hmm. obviously the, the range is something that we're going to have to look at. I mean, 110 miles can get you some places, but that's not fully practical. My yet. guess is this is going to be for like traffic. So say you are in one of these high traffic areas and you're sitting get in from traffic. South Atlanta to North Atlanta. Yeah. You're going to be able minutes. to say, okay, I got five minutes to get over there. Let me just raise up, land on the building and be ready to go to work. So on the building. And for $300,000, they're going to have, they're gonna have to come out with regulations around where you can land. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure as that develops, but if you if you went through the process to get your license, my guess is you're also going to understand yeah. everything to where you can do that safely you can't just, just land in a parking lot that's not I safe know. for everybody else with propellers and everything mm, we'll see yeah i don't we'll know see. that's something that i guess we'll have to find out well one of the next items is uh a large investment from a company in brazil so uh warren buffett and his uh berkshire hathaway has a large investment into byd now this is a chinese EV maker. I believe it's one of the largest and produces the most EVs in the world right now. Um, I'll have another picture. Very nice looking car. Uh, don't know anything about him. Love. If anybody has someone who has dr driven or owns one of those, I would love to talk to them about it. Uh, but they're investing $620 million in Brazil. Um, another big investment of that area in order to make uh, these type of vehicles. So uh, their lineup is extensive. I don't know if you've ever looked into them, but they have multiple different types of cars. Um, very fast growing company. And again, Berkshire Hathaway is, uh, is uh, an investor in that group. And um, I really do see them hitting the market in the U.S. fairly soon, especially if they're building one in Brazil. My, my feeling is that allows them to be in the North American, South American trade zones and, and will allow them to import fairly easy at that point. So I think that uh, that's kind of the direction they're looking at the U.S. market that way and a really nice looking vehicle. So, um, you know, again, another vehicle coming into the United States maybe soon. Um, I think that's good for everybody. Uh, gives competition, probably lower cost and everything. So uh, what's your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've not uh, researched the BYD that much. And I mean, obviously, all of these different manufacturers are coming around and um, you're seeing a lot of different uh, production like we were discussing last year. I think Apple's going to come online, um, but there's several other ones that you've seen that are making announcements. Um, some of these might not be uh, based for the United States. Um, there's certain models that I've seen uh, in European countries um, that are exclusive to Europe. Um, and so that's something kind of that, like the Renault you were talking about uh, last week. So there's a Renault that looks fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but their association, obviously, with General Motors allows them to have the technology that comes from the batteries and the and the motors that are with them. But man, that, that car looks really good too. And so it's only it's, in Europe for right now, but I yeah. mean, it, it could come this way. I mean, and it's, uh, it's more of a supercar look to it yeah. as well. I, I would say it's a very expensive, probably kind of like the 150, 200,000 range. I don't think they've crossed that one yet. But yeah, I mean, uh, if the Lucid is going to be uh, 200 for their sporty, sporty one, I'm sure that it's going to be Quite, oh yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be up there. Quite juicy. Um, and well, how much is the Cadillac that they were talking about? It's three hundred thousand, isn't it? For what? The Cadillac, not the SUV, but the uh, sports car Cadillac. 
I don't know. I, I think it's over 300000 because we're talking about a competitor to uh, Bentley and Rolls-Royce, uh, which used to be the be that competition for the upper market. Um, but, yeah, it, it came out, and it, it looked really nice. I, if I'm not mistaken, it should be coming out very soon, too. So, Did uh, you see that Rolls-Royce announced their EV? Mm-hmm. It looks, it looks pretty sharp. Let me get my wallet out. So, yeah. <laughs> the Rolls-Royce Spectre. Uh, ultra silent uh, move forward. Look at the mileage on it, though. That's the problem. I think it's what it's a lot less than I was expecting for that type of vehicle. But I do know that they are very heavy. But if you're going to be on the upper echelons of the automotive world, I would expect a lot larger range than what it was offering. And I cannot remember how much that is. Yeah, and I mean, I think that they're saying. As of right now, it looks like the estimated is 260. Yeah. So um, I guess that's just so when you're in town <laughs> and you're getting chauffeured around, your chauffeur can uh, uh, go charge it for you, and it's not that big a deal. Base price, 422000 Four. Yeah, I, I figured it would be out there. But, I mean, that's just going to be your your appeal to your luxury drivers. But, I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, that's another dealership putting their name in the hat. Oh, the boat tail they have or the drop heads, all, all of them look great. So, Did uh, you see uh, Tesla's production numbers? No. They uh, announced, I think, two days ago, uh, July 2nd. Thank you for giving the me best. these notes when we were talking You're earlier. Welcome. You know, thank you. <laughs> I'm adding these in. Yeah, right that, that's, that's fine. Tesla came out and said that they exceeded their expectation. And in Q2 of this year, they produced 479,000 EVs. In Q2. Wow. Okay. That and is very impressive. 460,000 were the Model 3 and Y, and 19,489 was the Model S and X. So obviously the the, the cheaper uh, models are obviously more widely appealing, but they've delivered 466,000 vehicles. And see, that's great news because when I was talking about this BYD, now BYD, going back to what Warren Buffett, uh, that, that conversation, you know, when I was looking at their numbers, they've doubled in the last year. So they've doubled from 134, 134,000 to roughly 253,000 in production. For the so, whole year. Yeah. So that gives you an idea of the size of Tesla's sales right now. And it's I mean, probably, their manufacturing is at a peak. I mean, yeah. Oh, it's it, half and, a million. A quarter. They're going to produce two million vehicles a year. And I think they're really pushing hard for. The same thing that Ford's looking at now with their designs is less parts, more manufacturing. So yeah. some of the presses that I've uh, and the molding tools that Tesla use will be able to mold one whole subunit in the rear and in one um, mold. So you're, you're basically getting your entire rear structure in one mold versus multiple pieces and then assembled on the line, tightened. And then have to do the maintenance on those systems and everything like that. So, but if you damage one part, it makes it a little bit more tricky. <laughs> well, that's that's why you don't want to run over things. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I believe that the aluminum molds and things like that have been some of the holdup for the Tesla truck, uh, Cybertruck. So, uh, but they also are making announcements on it that they do feel like September will be the day or the time that some of these will be released. I'm hoping. I, I know that I'm under ten thousand. At least I feel like I'm under 10,000 because of the time that I put my reservation in and the um, systems that are online. You can go on and compare your VIN number, your order number. And there's uh, 
an algorithm or something somebody created that tells you where you're at. So hopefully we'll have an early model of that when it comes out. We can kind of look we'll do at a it. review video and put that oh, one up absolutely. on our YouTube. <laughs> absolutely. We'd love to do that. So um, but what's those numbers are insane. Yeah. And another interesting fact was um, Tesla announced that their free color is changing from white to like their gray silver color. So the for the, I think it was for the the two base models. Um, I think it was for the the three and the Y. Um, now the silver is what's the free color. You have to pay a thousand dollars to get the white color. Never been that case. It's always been white's free, but now they've changed that. Just an interesting fun. I mean, you know, I think Henry Ford said you can get any color you want as long as it's black for the <laughs> Model A. So. Yeah. Uh, now you can get any color you want as long as it's silver. <laughs> yeah. So and it silver, free. So silver's free. And then, I mean, obviously the other colors are marginal compared to the cost of the vehicle. But I like a silver car. Yeah. Uh, Mercedes, I've always loved the silvers that they use on their vehicles. I think that's their main color. So uh, their national color for Germany, I believe, is silver as well. So um, kind of, I like France blue too, though. So yep. but that gets into <laughs> F1. and BMW. BMW. So last week we did discuss how Toyota is wanting to get into the solid state batteries, and there's a lot of controversy. Uh, didn't expect a lot of pushback saying, oh, that's years and years and years away. Um, you know, 2028 is a pretty good time away. And uh, uh, everybody was saying that, well, that's really not something that is feasible soon. So BMW said, hold my beer and watch <laughs> this. We're going to bring it out before 2025. So that's basically their announcement last week was that uh, they are now in deep partnership to create solid state batteries and they feel like they'll have it out in 2025. And of course, all of the same things we discussed last week on the benefits of a solid state battery are what they feel like they can produce and also be um, the next step, I guess, for BMW. Uh, again, BMW is a, a car company. I mean, I love BMW as well. I think they've kind of went away from what the old cars used to be. Um, the old M series, you, you, you get into uh, the modern ones. There's a lot of electronics have issues with a lot of cam phasers that have problems with. And, you know, getting into the drivability, though, you, you, you couldn't find a better handling or, or a better uh, a driver's car, especially on the 35s and things like that. So uh, the fact that they're now jumping feet first into this, uh, is, is great. Obviously, they've had some hybrids out there and a couple electrics. Uh, the i8 was a really cool-looking car when it came out, and it was uh, um, a hybrid technology, but it really did use a lot of the battery tech that they were building at the time as a test bed, I guess. So um, it'd be interesting to see what they can do with this. Yeah. Hmm. So Very interesting. I mean, a more solid-state momentum, and I think that that's something that we'll see uh, positive progress on and maybe uh, a good... Uh, future adaptation in the next three, four years for, you know, the evolution of batteries. Yeah, so. I, I, we'll probably try to reach out to some friends at Oak Ridge National Labs, ONLR. Um, I know that they have a battery program or, or something like that. And uh, we'll see if they've been doing any work on the solid states because having a good understanding of where that technology is today and where it's going would kind of help. Because when I look at the, the EV markets, everybody's using the same technology and I think everybody says the same thing. Well, once batteries get to X, then I can, then I'll feel more comfortable. Once we get to the point where they're not so damaging to the environment to get the minerals out, then we'll be doing great. So I guess the question there is, when is that going to happen? What is that next uh, uh, 
next step? Is that a feasible next step? And is it really that beneficial to everybody? So, because I mean, talking about all these production numbers, you know, that means that there's a lot of raw material that's happening. A lot of a lot of material has to come out to make these cars, and uh, uh, at least Tesla, I believe, their motors in the last uh, call, going back to Tesla, the last uh, investors uh, meeting, they did say that their newest electric motor was not going to have any of the metals any of the um i can't think of the term of it that they use but the uh particular materials that's needed to create those they're going to straight iron and and some of these easily uh, harvested uh, materials yeah, yeah. so it, it'd be interesting to see what that tech does but hmm. uh, anyway so that's kind of the news we have right now let's go ahead and switch gears into a couple topics that we have and uh one of them is kind of relating to the heat wave that happened in texas um here recently uh and everybody's asking about the grid and you know they're asking how many electric vehicles are on that grid and it did it hurt and it, did it cause people to have issues with their power there in texas and uh what is the solution for that so we're going to start out with the solution and some of the terms that will be we'll probably be hearing over the next few years on what it is to to use these trucks and and cars as a battery backup source for your house as well as for the grid itself. So um, virtual power plants, keep that in mind. That is now the new term that is being used by Duke Energy to describe the system that will take and harness different battery operated or different battery sources within a customer's home and allow that to be brought back to the grid in the event that that energy is needed. Um, We've always called it, I think, in our world, microgrid. Yeah, I microgrids. Mean, they, they, are, they are referencing it as a virtual power plant, yeah, which, so they, is, which is true. So on a microgrid, the difference between the two, a microgrid is when you set up a small, and, the, and a microgrid will be integrated into this, but a microgrid never took you know, my truck that is on my home and then paid me for the power that's in that truck. So what this is, um, is a system that will allow the the energy company to then pull what energy they can off of my particular home grid, pay me a very large premium for it, and then sell that power to other areas either outside of that grid or, or outside that region that need it because they are having issues. So this ultimately will take down the power cost of areas that have to get that grid and it could improve the markets that don't have that infrastructure in place. So it's it's definitely a you know uh, an opt-in type program. Uh, I think they're looking at f in the next five years, just 3,500 homes is what they're targeting in order to get this system set up. But the the basic of it is, uh, say Tennessee is right next to, or or one of the states next to Texas, Missouri, or one of these have a bunch of vehicles on the grid that are connected and it's at three in the afternoon and your truck's plugged in and you're fine. You have enough power in that area. Um, but yet south of you in Texas, they are really needing that power. So you're looking at four or five dollars. I think I sent you a, a, a screenshot where somebody with a power grid or a, a solar farm in Texas was getting paid five dollars per kwh which is insane yeah so for reference if we did an industrial project we're looking at 20 cents per kwh or 21 cents tops or, yeah. yeah at the most you're looking at 20 21 cents per kwh and here they're getting five dollars per kwh shows um at some areas now i did read that they were getting up to 50 times the cost 
because it's supply and demand. And I think that's always been a concern is will the supply and demand factor be damaged by electric vehicles now coming onto the market and having a higher demand for lower supply? And will that make everybody's power bills go up? You know, uh, grandma who is in a house in her city that has a small power bill now because they're charging electric vehicles, her power bill goes up 20% because the demand is higher. Yeah. Is or, that or I mean, with grid constraints, you know, I mean, we've already seen in our region, you know, the seven States around us that are all relying on the, um, the dams and, uh, TVA, you know, power set up, um, all of those, you know, we had rolling blackouts last year around Christmas time, um, just exclusively because the, the power grid is seeing, you know, such an influx of, individuals coming from out of the area, new homes coming on the market. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's the initiative to cut back on a certain power generation, like coal power generation, but there's no alternative solution currently for power. And so we're seeing a, a, a strain grid in extreme cold and in the extreme heat, we're seeing a strain grid, obviously like you're seeing in Texas. And so the question then becomes, how do you resolve that? And what we've, you know, the issue that we have in place right now is, hey, let's bring electric vehicles to the market that, you know, on a road trip are consuming three times the amount that a house consumes in a day. Yeah. Um, you know, that's it's a very interesting um, paradigm that we're having to face where we're basically bringing electrical consumption to the grid and we don't have solutions, which is where I think these virtual power plants are an option. I mean, if 3,500 homes are brought to the market that have anything um, solar vehicles that have a battery backup but if you had 3500 homes that had you know vehicles plugged in that had 75 kilowatt batteries you're talking about two gigawatts of power yep. right mega yeah you're, you're close yeah a lot of power a lot, lot of power that's a lot of power and and, and here it looks like six dollars fifty cents per kilowatt hour if, if i could get offered that i would 100 percent take it <laughs> yeah, i can build anything you want to at that kind of price you give me that kind of margin i'm fine i'll build solar i'll build whatever you want to so yeah um i'll have my kids on box connected to generators and the <laughs> trying yeah. to make power to uh to uh to service that so you know again it's a solution that they're looking at and I think because of the Texas being in the news here recently, it kind of shows, you know, the grid was strained. I don't know how much if, if the grid survived this heat wave. Now, here's the other part about the heat wave. You know, when I was growing up, 90 degrees, 100 degrees was not uncommon. You know, I mean, we would have summers where you'd have several 95 and you'd be outside playing all day. So now you're hitting all these different warnings. I never had those warnings. And now they're trying to I think some of it is, oh, this is horrible. But it's summer, you know, <laughs> that's what summer is. You're just, you, you've taken a lot of the power source out and you need to replace it with something. And now we're trying to come up with those solutions. How do we fix not having enough power for everybody while everybody is growing? So. And, that, and that's something that with what we're doing, you know, we specifically have worked on, you know, our Power Up America, you know, charging grid. And one of the solutions that we've provided to this issue is basically energy independent charging stations. Uh, which kind of goes in lines with this virtual power plants because the virtual power plant isn't just homes uh, that have vehicles plugged in at the house. They're talking about battery storage. Yep. And that's something that, you know, with us, our intent is to have, you know, some solar connected to some battery and still connected to the grid. But our goal is to provide 
the occupancy of that station completely off grid. That way you don't provide strain to rural America um, yep. because a lot of times, you know, the urban locations have more power grid infrastructure to handle that load. But when you get to urban America, uh, Midwest, um, you know, we live in East Tennessee, you know, some of the demand in those regions need supplements. Texas, you know, in the urban areas is fine. But when you get out into the country, uh, they may need power grid infrastructure improvements. And so that's where a solution like what we have, where you have, you know, the solar the battery backup, the solar charges the battery, the battery then is on standby to charge the vehicles day and night. Yep. Um, and then you have the grid as a backup in the event that there is uh, more demand, um, but it's something that you can charge the battery in non-peak hours. And that's something that power companies excluding solar can do, um, where they can actually have a battery charge it during non-peak hours and have that energy available uh, for times of high demand. It's just a matter of bringing that infrastructure. Um, and it seems like some of the funding that's coming from the federal government is starting to push those initiatives for some supplemental power production. Yeah. But it's something that, you know, I think it was Elon that was basically saying that it doesn't take um, an astronomical amount of land uh, compared to the United States to actually power the United States on solar. Yeah, the problem is um, getting that one plot of land to give power everywhere. You yeah. just can't send and it And spreading that, that power around yeah. across the grid nationwide. But the amount of space is not huge that's needed for that. But where you act as this, this individualized locations where there's five acres here, five acres there, and it all supports the grid with this battery backup setup. It's the virtual power plants located throughout the region. If you can have one every 20, 30 miles, um, you know, that, that provides you the ability to add to the power grid in times of demand, where if you have batteries that hold five megawatts of uh, power spread throughout the grid, then, you know, if you have a hundred of those in a state, well, there's a ton of power on demand for times of high demand. And then, you know, you can pay the consumer for it that way you don't have power outages, but it also provides future proofing for, you know, this increasing strain grid that we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, because that's something that's an obvious obvious concern. And basically, the at the end of the day, what does this do for the common person? Why does anybody care about this? And it, it basically, it's going to make your power bill cheaper. If we can get these uh, established and you can have this grid, you're going to or, be paying less money is the goal of this entire program. So or maybe just keep it the same instead of going up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to go up anyway. I mean, yeah. it's uh, everything has went up. I went to... Uh, uh, well, yeah, everything is going up right now. But uh, now the other part of this is the impact on what is the electric vehicle impact on the grid in Texas. Let's just take Texas, for example, and then say, OK, we just had this heat wave. We had this big uh, spike. What was the percentages of electric vehicle? How many electric vehicles is there? What was the impact over the weekend? Could you blame any of the problems on electric vehicles? And this comes from the what is this? The electric uh, reliability Council of Texas. So basically, Texas has a little over 200,000 vehicles, and they estimate that those 200,000 vehicles represents about 2% of the entire grid's impact when they are charging. So 2% is your kind of target number. Uh, that's a lot of power, obviously, for a full state, but if it's spread out, 2% is kind of a drop in the bucket. You know, So is there plans that could be put in place to kind of uh, prepare for that 2% today? Yes, I think that they've done that. Is there possibilities to where as that grows into a 10% or 25% impact? Uh, uh, is 
50% of the state being EVs going to be a much higher number. That number I don't have yet. So What's interesting, though, is, you know, for Texas, I was just curious and looked it up. From the DMV in Texas, there's 22 million registered vehicles in Texas. Oh, yeah. So you're looking. So you're looking at less than 1% or 1% yeah. of the vehicles on the road. And so represents 2% of the power grid. If you, if you get to the point that 20% of the road is EVs, then you're looking at 4 million which then it means that you're taking up from 2% of the grid to what's the math there? No, it, would be, <laughs> it would be an extra 10 times. So, I mean, you're looking at 20% of the power grid. Yeah, and um, it's not prepared for that today. And that's, that's where, like, if the EV agenda pushed, I mean, currently there's 22 million vehicles and 202,000 of them are EVs. But that's, that's, a drop, that's a drop in the bucket compared to what the, the industry's doing there. And so, I mean, obviously that there's going to be a grid concern coming. But if you use these virtual power plants, each one of those vehicles then acts as its own power supplier yeah. that you'll be reimbursed at a much higher rate. And if you're on the northern part and the southern part of the state is getting hit with that uh, shortage, you're going to be able to balance that out if you have your grid put in place with this virtual type of system. Yeah. So I think that even as you bring these onto the market, you, if you can create that possibility of of buying that energy back from that vehicle for places that opt into it that's going to be something and then everybody's like well what, what if they what if they do it without my permission well unplug you yeah. know they can't take it out of the air well, that's something you're opting into <laughs> as well now but. could they eventually force you to plug your truck up or car up in order to get the power out of it i doubt it but if you're getting paid $6.50 per KWH. I mean, it's very much like they do. I mean, I don't know if it's a nationwide thing, but our local power board offers this box that you connect to for your water heater. And they have the ability basically to shut down your water heater to basically save grid consumption. Um, and they have incentives like, you know, basically coverage of your water heater when it goes out uh, or discounts, you know, around having that. But that's the same kind of thing. I mean, they are in essence shutting down your water heater for in waves basically in order to save uh power and so it's the same i mean it's kind of the same thing it's an opt-in and i'm sure you can opt out but yep. i mean that's just an option to I, help save the grid i want to have that 851 dollars that they would pay me for the power of my truck that i can charge back that night at a much lower rate I, yeah, yeah that, give that, me 851 dollars that's a, a nice vehicle payment <laughs> yeah you know, made in one day yeah for, almost you know. the full payment yeah. so uh definitely a, an opportunity there to uh you know, change the technology that, that, that people are looking into to try to make this grid a lot more secure as we bring these EVs onto the market. There's a lot more to talk about down that spectrum. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll stop for the day. We'll take a break, and we'll bring on our guest speaker for the day. That'd be great. All right, we're back, and we have Jeanette from Lockport, New York, on the line. Are you there, Jeanette? I'm here. Hello. Awesome. Well, uh, Jeanette is a lightning owner similar to us uh, she has an xlt uh, standard range model for the uh, lightning um, what specifically uh, drew you to the ev market i'd actually been looking for quite a while and i have three kids so it was the first vehicle that would comfortably hold us and groceries and things like that we uh the topic of last week was frunks how nice has that frunk been with a family I love it. I absolutely love it. I heard that they were talking about possibly getting rid of them, and I hope that they do not do that. Absolutely not. Yeah, that, that, I use my frunk all the time, and I intentionally 
any anytime I go anywhere where there's a curbside pickup, uh, I intentionally just pull up, pop the frunk, and just leave it there. Make it make it to where it's a, oh, yeah. it's a statement piece for the parking I'm lot. I'm worried now if they're getting. I always joke with my husband that when we go shopping, um, like you gotta give me an extra ten minutes because when I open the front, somebody's gonna ask me a question. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Where's your engine in that thing? That's what I'm always. Yep. <laughs> my favorite thing is people are like, "Is that electric?" I'm like, "Come check out the engine on this thing." Pop that front open. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, so I mean, obviously, uh, this is your first EV, correct? It is. So how has the transition been from, you know, gas power to EV uh, where you're at? I love it. So we do actually have a gas vehicle as well. Um, I bought the standard range thinking that we wouldn't actually use it for regular truck things. And we've still been using it. We've been towing with it. We've taken a couple small road trips with it. Um, I can charge it home. So we just charge it at night. It's great. Okay. And uh, with the towing experience, that's something that, I mean, obviously, I've heard a lot of people um, talk about and obviously have concern with the towing experience of the electric truck. Um, from what I've seen, I've not done much towing myself with other than really light duty. Um, but obviously, you know, with towing, it seems like you don't feel your payload. Uh, it seems like it's it's a very seamless tow. Um, but I've, I've yeah. seen some concern with the range. What have you towed and how's been your experience with that? So we have a 25-foot um, camper, and we have a snowmobile trailer with snowmobiles. We have towed both. It definitely has a very limited range because if you stop at a charging station, they're not pulled through like a gas station, so you don't really have the ability to charge with the camper arm. Yeah. Um, but we, we go camping within like 100 miles of the house. We can make it there, and then we plug the truck in with the camper while we're camping. So with the standard range, you know, you're going 100 miles for the thing. Are you kind of getting there with little, little battery remaining? Very little. Yeah, I think the range is about half. So I've been, we've been around 100, 110, and we try to stay within like, you know, 90 miles or is so. Is that highway driving um, or, back, or, or is it slower? Mostly back road. Okay. Yeah, I think the highway would be a little bit lower. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. that I think that that's one improvement. I mean, I think in general... Uh, if you look at gas-powered vehicles, you lose range when it comes to towing things, but gas stations are a lot more convenient to get in and yeah. out of. And I think that's something that uh, one of the topics that we've talked about recently is battery um, evolution. And it seems like, you know, the Ram truck, for instance, is said to get 500 miles of range on their extended range. Well, I mean, I think that makes, you know, even if, if it's half with towing, you could go 250 uh, to 300 uh, on a charge then and that makes a huge difference when you're taking a road trip uh, or towing something like you know a camper i would love to see some of the chargers along the throughway and stuff be able to be a pull through i think that would help significantly too yeah our our experience i mean they designed it for teslas and for nissan mm -hmm. leafs and things like that where it's just pull up and charge but i've seen more than once where you have uh you have at lightnings and rivians pulling up a load having to drop it in the parking lot, go charge and come back or yeah. they're cattywampus in some parking space to try to be creative wampus. to try to it's a great <laughs> word. Yeah. To try to come in and, and charge. And so that's definitely something to pull through <laughs> charging needs to be uh, implemented for all future infrastructure. And I don't know, I know you have a lightning too. I don't know if you charge, I've actually had trouble with just my truck reaching the charging station, like the cord. It's yeah, short. And, it, it depends um, so. on the station. I mean, obviously, some of those where they're located, um, you know, unless you're 
facing it. Um, they expect you to run it across your truck if it's a pull-up unit and stuff. Uh, those cables mm -hmm. aren't necessarily the best. I've had that problem. Uh, yeah. Off. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Do we have a, one of the um, test stations for Tesla, the Magic Dock is about half an hour from here. Mm. So I went out to try it just to see how it would work. And I was like over the curb. And <laughs> yeah. I, they don't have any Magic Dock here yet, but it seems like um, the NACS is uh, coming to work. It looks like all four drivers are going to get that adapter for Tesla infrastructure and it looks like tesla's already putting some ccs on some of their stations so hopefully that network will open up in a, a greater way to us in yeah. the next couple yeah, of I years think january february of next year is when we're supposed to get our Adapter. adapters yeah so yeah i've had pretty good luck i know some people don't but i've had pretty good luck with electrify america too so yeah i, I mean I, it's been hit or miss i mean the infrastructure is pretty much all you have as a ccs driver um, i took a road trip from east tennessee down to florida and back and, you know, it's, I, I literally, that was the only thing available. There was one stop that I found that was off network that was a fast charger that was um, not Electrify America. But um, who was that? Was it? Uh, it was, it was run through local? the Florida Department of Transportation. It was okay. some random uh, charging infrastructure they had. But uh, it seems like that's something that um, Electrify America is your current <laughs> road trip experience. Uh, they have some other ones in some other areas. Um, but for me, you know, we take trips across Tennessee. And all we're really seeing for fast charging infrastructure is electrified America. America. Yeah, but yeah, we have a bunch of ChargePoint up here too. Yeah, and ChargePoint. Well, there, there's a couple around. I know that uh, Jesse had one North over Carolina. in North Carolina yeah. that was ChargePoint. Um, I've not actually. Yeah. Se I've seen a 75 kW uh, ChargePoint, but I've not ever used a uh, supercharger from ChargePoint. But anyways. Okay. Yeah, there's a couple by us that are 350. Yeah. And uh, what overall, I mean, with, with your lightning, is there anything that you wish would be different about the experience as a whole, or has it been pretty seamless so far? It's been pretty seamless. I haven't had too many issues. Um, I've had a couple of software updates that kind of like messed with the mileage, and that was annoying because I wasn't sure how far I could actually go, but they seem to have fixed it in this one this week. I think it updated a couple of days ago. Yeah, it's like up software update. Range improvement, and all of a sudden it's reading 320. You're like, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not getting that. But yeah, I mean, I, around town I can get 350. You know, with my real estate driving uh, that I do. But when it gets to, when it gets time for road trips, it starts the day at 340. I'm like, that's not the case. No, I, and, what, what is that yeah. mileage range? I guess we would be around the two point. When I'm on, I guess uh, two kwh per mile. So. Uh, that puts you down probably around the 240, 260. 260 yeah, for okay. a full but full battery. But yeah, I mean that's uh, that's something that that tech obviously you know range anxiety is a very real thing when uh, you're <laughs> dealing with uh, inaccurate metering <laughs> around the speed. But I think Ford is trying to get it to where if you use their navigation maps and if it senses you're going to be driving fast, it's it's supposed to be updating the map. But I haven't. Uh, seen that fully yeah, yet. I'm sure when I live happen. in right up at a Buffalo, New York, so we get a lot of snow too. And sometimes in the winter, it would still show like, you know, 230 on my standard range. I'm like, well, I'm clearly not getting that. <laughs> yeah. so can you just tell me what I'm actually getting? <laughs> speaking, um, speaking of that, I mean, with the, you know, a lot, you get a lot colder weather than we get. Um, yeah. Was the experience throughout the winter um, okay? Or did you see a pretty significant drop with the cold weather? I didn't actually think it was as bad as I was expecting. I pretty much was around like 170 most of the winter, so I only lost 60 miles. Did you precondition or was it all just straight, you know, you get in and get that range? 
I didn't precondition very often because I don't have a set work schedule. I leave at different times on different days. And it was, I found it more annoying to try to go into the app and um, precondition. I, 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 that is one feature I wish there was just like a precondition now, like a half an hour before I was leaving. Yeah, I, I, I concur. Just scheduling that in the app um, every day, it's different. And then you have to schedule basically recurring. Uh, and so I, we, we yeah. leave for a road trip across town to, you know, we, we went to Nashville and I scheduled for 5.30 in the morning. And the next week at Wednesday morning at 5.30 in the morning, my truck's up and preconditioned and I'm not going anywhere. So that, that's <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, I tried it for a little bit. I was like, this isn't working. I'm just going to turn this off. So yeah, I mean, as long as you uh, don't need. A couple times when I knew I was going to need the range, I did try to turn on the preconditioning. But other than that, I just started it. What uh, <laughs> what what vehicle? Do you have your sights on any other vehicles? Or is as of right now, are you really happy with the Lightning? I really like the Lightning. I haven't used the bed that much because the front has been able to hold everything that I've needed. So I actually think I might go with an Explorer when they come out. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think they're coming. It's a little Europe more family time. friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when it comes to being where you are, we did not have much snow this year, which is kind of rare uh, for our region. Um, did you have, did you, were you able to get your truck out into the snow? And if you did, how was its, uh, uh, traction control in comparison to the other vehicles you've had up in that area? It was really good. I've had, you know, several different cars over my life and it was definitely in the top three. Oh. It was, it's really heavy. So it just goes through everything. I didn't have any issues. I, um, I think I'm going to need new tires this year <laughs> already. <laughs> so we put a lot of miles on and sounds like somebody I know. Yeah. I'm the quickly. same way, but I've got 23,000 miles on my truck and I need tires now. So, yep. yeah. So I still have the stock tires on, so I think I'll switch to either snow tires or all weather and see if that makes a little bit of a difference, but I did not have any issues this year. And we actually had a blizzard that I ended up driving in the next day and there was like over a foot of snow on the road and we had no problem. Wow. wow. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's all it's a one. It's all it's all wheel drives. So, I mean, like you're getting yeah. full power on all the tires at all time. But then the weight of it does make sense. Never thought about um, that. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, we didn't have it. Literally had no snow this year, which is a rare thing for us in East Tennessee. So I, I didn't get a chance to experiment in the snow. But we had a total of almost 15 feet. But it was it would snow. It snowed like seven feet, and then it melted four days later. It was crazy. I'm a, um, I'm, a, during, I'm a football fan, and I saw the 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 uh, images of the Buffalo Stadium when that blizzard hit. Was that the same one? Oh yeah, we were actually just north of the snow, so we went to Detroit for the game. We're like, yeah, we can get out. We'll go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, we drove across Canada. That's crazy. Um, yeah, but well, for the one blizzard, we had actually lost power, and I used it to charge. We did not set up the whole house charging, but I just ran an extension cord, and it was great just to keep the fridge going. Oh yeah. I I did the same thing. I didn't want to necessarily justify. I mean, especially in our area, we I don't lose power at my house that much, and I could. Yeah, we don't either. And when we do, it's usually just a short amount of time. Yeah, I couldn't justify four or five grand just for that convenience of having that five ten minutes every here and there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's something that's nice to have. But yeah, any other thoughts about your driving experience or anything that you want to say about you know owning an EV in general to our listeners? Oh boy. Um, I think that everyone should just try to drive one. We've gotten a lot of, even my husband, when we first bought it was kind of like, no, I don't get it. And now he's like, it's great. It does, you know, everything. I think Pete, there's a little bit of a stigma around it and people should just give it a chance. 
Yeah. And see, I know it's not for everyone. I know if you're taking really long road trips, it can be inconvenient, but I think it's coming. I think the infrastructure's there when they hiccup with Tesla, things like that. Yeah, I, I I think that I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I uh I was excited to get it just because of how much money I was spending on gas. But the first mm-hmm. the first time I put my my foot to the metal there and I, I got to actually experience the power behind electric, it was uh, something that became rapidly addictive, and I've owned my truck for very close to a year now. And it's, yeah, I'm just about coming up on a year too. It yep. still doesn't get old. Every single time, it's, <laughs> it does not. It's it's quiet. It's fun. It's smooth. I mean, compared to my F-150, I drove before. It's a lot. The independent rear suspension makes it just float down the road. I mean, it's just it's a great drive experience overall. And I mean, I've not had. Yeah, any... the kids always have to take my truck on road trips just because it's so much quieter. <laughs> Um, my husband has a regular gas F-150 and they're like, it's so noisy now. Yeah, it's true. And slow, it's you to slow, it's a V8, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stupid V8s, I'll tell you what. <laughs> but yeah, well, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on today. All right, thank you. Have thank a good you. One. Well, that's pretty much it. A couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, we do have our website online, turned down for what? podcast.com uh, so if you have any uh, questions you can actually go on there and fill out a, a inquiry if you're interested in joining the podcast you're welcome to reach out uh, via our website turn down for what podcast.com uh, we are also uh, if you desire to watch the podcast we're on youtube um, and you can subscribe to us there um, and you can follow us on socials which would be facebook instagram and twitter mm, sounds like you copied everything you're good yeah, we're good We'll see you next week. Thank you very much. It's been turned down for what? Turn down for what?